Speaking of how great Windows is, there is a new subreddit that chronicles the most public blue screens of death ever. And at first I was like, oh, ha ha, that's old joke. But actually, some of these are really good. Really, really good. Like, uh, hey, Wes, check out, take a look at this picture here. I don't even know what this is. Wow. But look how fancy that is. That's in a mall where they have like a twisted display and the twisted display blue screen. I'd be really curious to see what that looks like when it works. Yeah. <laughs> right? Every fifth day. Look at this guy sitting there and a massive blue screen right there on that screen. It's almost like art. It is kind of like art. It is kind of beautiful Modernist. in a way. Yeah. Giant, giant blue screens. Giant blue screens. So there is a subreddit now dedicated to the most epic blue screens ever. And if you check it out, uh, I'll have a link in the show notes. Some of these are kind of artistic in their own way. The blue screen of death is, is in its own way, gotten its own uh, its own status in popular culture. So in fairness, do we need to spin up a uh, Linux kernel crash subreddit? Right. Right. It's not pretty. No, it's not. The blue screen. We don't have the blue. Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, something went something went wrong with your computer is the new error message. Yes. There was somebody posted a photo that said it was just a big word that said error. You have an error. Thanks. Uh, This is really. uh, This is really. I love the caption for this Ars Technica photo. So this is the mall one again. We have these wrap displays, Mm -hmm. and it says malls. Can they get any more soulless? Yes. Thanks to the blue screen of death. Yeah, that's pretty awful. Mm, that's pretty gross. You know what I want? An ARM-powered Linux laptop. Linus says it's going to happen, but maybe not in 2016. He's looking for it, though. He said that uh, at LinuxCon in Europe, he said that I'm happy to see that ARM is making progress. One of these days, I will actually have a machine with ARM. That They said it would be this year. Maybe it'll be next year. 2016 will be the year of the ARM laptop. Does the PyTop count? I don't know, actually. That's a good question. I don't think so. I think when Linus says that, he's talking about something kind of along the lines of the MacBook Air that you just buy. Yeah. And it runs. Consumer, easy peasy. Yeah, I mean, we're starting to see a higher end Chromebooks now. I mean, um, yeah. You know, who's, yeah. You know, um, who's going to try to compete with a $500 Chromebook with an ARM chip instead of an Intel CPU? You know, I was uh, on. laptop with Android. Yeah, I would rather have it run Linux, really. I mean, mm-hmm. much, much rather. I was. Uh, on Tech Talk today, I was talking about these high-tech nomadics that uh, are are living off the grid, quote-unquote. They're staying connected to the Internet, but living off the grid. And one of them is, uh, you guys may know of him, is Joey Hess. He is a uh, Debian software developer. He, I'm not sure if he's currently with the Debian project, but he did help develop the Debian installer. Uh, he created Git Annex. Uh, oh, he's, very nice. Yeah, he's working on a software that uses Dropbox, Git, and a few other things to sync all of your dot files between all of your Linux machines, Ooh. right? Like, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, so Joey, uh, he is an interesting individual because he pines, he says, he pines for an ARM-based Linux laptop because he's using a Dell Mini 9. He's been using it since 2008. He's worn out two keyboards. Wow. He's gone through two SSDs. He's upgraded it to two gigabytes of RAM. And he lives totally off the grid. He has solar power. On a good day, he says he gets 50 amp hours, but on most days, he gets 15 amp hours. 15 amp hours, And uh, he says he's, when power is low, he often hacks in the evenings by lantern light. That's adorable. And he says he would kill, kill for a powerful ARM-based laptop, something that would, you know, use way less power. Oh, psh, I had to put a qualifier on there with powerful. Right, exactly. That was what I was going to say, is when I say ARM laptop, I want something... That's significantly fast, you know. Yeah, where you could you you have your average everyday expectations met 
easily. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a, a screamer, but you know, here I am a few months into this XPS 13 that I have, and it's got a Core i7 quote unquote mobile processor, mm-hmm. which is actually a dual core processor with hyper threading that makes it look like four cores. I don't know why that's called an i7, but apparently in laptop jargon, that qualifies that's as an i7. i7. Yeah. And you know, I notice it. I notice I. It's been a while since I've you know used a dual core as my daily driver, and I don't know. It's still a really nice performing machine. Yep. But it's also my newest computer, and it's not my fastest computer. That's a little disappointing. It's a bu- It's a bummer. Yeah. It's a bummer. Oh, it's precisely because Intel's been focusing on power management right. for the last couple of. And I, I appreciate. I get four or five hours of battery life. I yeah. do appreciate that. That makes a difference. But the reality is, uh, if I can, if I'm sitting here with a quote unquote i7 and an SSD, and I'm going not fast enough. There's no way ARM something gonna, failed there. Yeah, ARM's just ARM's not going to be fast enough for me for a while. I don't think. I, I don't know. You, are, you do have well, higher expectations than a uh, terminal-based prob- oh, yeah, Debian yeah, developer, yeah, yeah. probably. I mean, I would claim that Intel has maintained a lead because of their manufacturing prowess, and now they've stum- stumbled with the latest you know, process node. So is this the point where ARM catches up? Maybe. And if you go, like Wes is saying, you know, if you're doing terminal development, maybe you have a web browser and email, and that's just about it. If you could tell me, here's an ARM computer that doesn't need to be charged for 10, 13 hours that runs yeah. Linux... That would be very, very tempting when I'm off-grid. That would be very, very tempting. Yeah, or your ARM computer is, well, not for off-grid, but your ARM computer is your interface to a droplet in the cloud. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, so Joey says, I seem to live half the time out of range of broadband and still use dial-up. He uses dial-up. Two gigs of RAM, dial-up? Yeah, so wow. I'm fully adapted to asynchronous communication. I download my mail with offline IMAP as well as blogs get converted to RSS to email. I use a distributed version control extensively and use my Git Annex to maintain large quantities of local data and queue up large files to transfer in rare times when I'm around fast internet. That's really neat. That is really neat. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 114 for October 13th, 2015. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that is drinking Dawn of the Red, an Indian-style pale ale. That's right. My name is Chris. And my name is Wes. Hey, Wes, you are the, uh, you're the good soldier here that brought these Dawn of the Red. I've never even seen this before. I hadn't either. What do you think? Coming out of Eugene, Oregon, a local brewery. And look at that, a 7% alcohol. Ooh, this will be a fun one, guys. Uh, I, is this my second or third? Uh, I think it's the second one. We better not tell. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I will right, well, up on this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. There is a KDE elephant in the room, a big plasma monster. We're going to talk about that today, and uh, some accusations being thrown around, some new application updates coming out, and all of that goodness from the plasma folks, as well as what I believe is the one true, the one true ring. No, I'm kidding. Uh, The one true form of integration, or whatever you want to call it, Canonical calls it convergence, Microsoft calls it, I think, continuity or continuity or something like that. I actually think there's something here today that we all could install. You don't even have to be a KDE desktop user. Take advantage of a really slick integration between your phone and your desktop. You don't need a dock. You don't need any special stuff. I'm excited already. We'll tell you about it, yeah. And then later on in the show, I've been looking at options. Something easy to recommend to people that is an open source, drop-in, set-it-and-forget-it router for the home that gets updates, that stays secure, that uses software we can trust. We're going to talk about that today in the show as well. And then then we're going to see if we can end curses all of the things. 
King Looper put us to the challenge and wants us to end curses all of the things. Every Wes. last thing. Every last damn thing, damn it. We're and we're to gonna it. do it. With the help of the mumble room. That's right. Well actually with sole reliance on the mumble room, we have a couple of suggestions, but this is a mumble room app pick segment that we'll be getting to, which was requested by the mumble room. Well there you go. They're like, they get what they want. That's, that's right. Works, <laughs> yeah. Now it's coming to you. All right, and speaking of the mumble room, let's bring them in. Time appropriate greetings, virtual lug. Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy. Hello, hello. Zombies don't run Linux. It's good to have you there. Danica's in there, too. That's good. Hello, guys. So uh, just really quickly, a, a bit of uh, KDE follow-up. You know, uh, the, the uh, guys over at the KDE project are doing things in an interesting way. you got the Plasma desktop, and you got the KDE applications and all this different stuff. It's a whole set of applications, and the KDE applications 1508 just got a release today as we are recording. This release contains bug fixes, translation updates, a nice update, a good safe update for everybody if you use ARC or Kate or KDE PIM or Localize, any of that stuff. This is a great update. Plus, this release also includes long-term support versions of the KDE development platform 4.14.13. And I'm going to underscore that. KDE 4.14.13 is still getting updates. The reason I'm going to underscore that is because that brings us to our first bit of feedback from KNRO in the Linux Action Show subreddit. Does Lass hate KDE? Some strong words. Yeah, so I just listened to episode 386 of Lass, and while they were covering Linux usage at the very large array, Chris noted that it's probably Red Hat with KDE, and then Noah just couldn't help himself but claiming that KDE is a strange desktop for such an environment. I mean, what the hell, Lass? This is not the first anti-KDE sentiment that I have heard on the show. I mean, I know you're now your gnome fanboys, but can you just try to stray a little bit towards neutral? It's the Linux action show. Not the gnome action show, and this is a this is a uh, this is a charge that has been lobbied our way directly, and uh, I just got off of reviewing Netrunner, and Netrunner came with uh, the Netrunner rolling release came with the Plasma Five desktop, and I did have some critical things walking away from there, uh, and I'll just give you a couple of things that happened to me, and these are just my experiences. So I'm trying this on a System seventy six Bonobo. And uh, traditionally, these have been extremely reliable Linux computers without any hardware issues. It's a really safe platform to test a distribution on. They've seen a lot of distributions. Yes. And uh, I had weird things uh, just in the last couple of days. Uh, for example, I would go click on the uh, menu and then shut down, and nothing happens. And then I would click on the menu again and click shut down, and nothing happens. And then I would click on the menu again and click shut down, and it would shut down. Oh, that's almost worse than it never working. Yeah, right? It's just very strange. Or there was another time where I was thinking about something I wanted to try, and I was just sitting here looking at the screen, not even doing anything, and Plasma 5 just crashed. It just crashed. Like, the desktop just crashed. I didn't even touch it. And then I put a thumb drive in, which is actually still in the machine. I put a thumb drive in, and the little notification box comes up and says, hey, you've put a thumb drive in. And I click Open in File Manager. The entire desktop session freezes. The entire desktop freezes. Mm. I can still Alt-Tab, Control-Alt-Tab over to, to my other virtual consoles. Totally frozen. All right. So I restart everything. You know, I restart, relaunch, get all my thing, get everything reloaded again. It's whatever. I bounce back. It's not a big deal. But it's one after one after one like this. Um, there's a lot of little things that we ran into during the testing that I walked away thinking, this is unpredictably unreliable to me. Like, I can't, I can't even fathom what's going to cause it to crash. Like, I can't even wrap my head around and then just avoid that behavior. Right, can't avoid it if you wanted to. And uh, this is generally the point 
where Rotten Corpse would jump in and tell me that KDE5 has not been declared stable. Do you want to make that point now, Rotten? It's not declared stable. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And so, very much so, it's something you have to understand, is that there is a long-term support development platform, which I just told you about, the version 4.14 that's out. And if you're actually going to run KDE as a daily driver, I think you might want to consider that. Do you agree with that, Rotten? And isn't that your daily driver right now? It is my daily driver. And why Um, not Plasma 5? Because it's not stable. Well, but they haven't declared it stable. It is pretty stable in the sense of uh, most people who's been testing it, and uh, with 5.4. So, and also it matters what distro you're using it on, because Netrunner is not a good example of Mm. well quality, in my opinion. And you have, I mean, you take issue with the Manjaro base and things like that, right? Right. I take. I I don't like Manjaro in any way whatsoever, and. I think that's a terrible base, but I also think that a lot of the decisions that Netrunner made are nothing to, t- to you know write home about, like the the fact that they have stuff pre-installed. Okay, so that takes ten seconds to install something. That's not yeah a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And and actually they, to that point, one of the things I like the most uh, actually the fact that they had Steam uh, libraries, system libraries, and clear all clear all whatever it was. Uh, that's actually from Manjaro. They inherited that from Manjaro. Yeah. So. Okay, there's there's different weird things that um, they did that they just decided that wouldn't really work well, and they even decided to rip out some of the Plasma Five stuff and go back to some Four stuff, which makes really no sense. But um, like if you look at Kubuntu, there are a lot of people who are talking about Kubuntu fifteen ten and using beta. Um, uh, WWNSX is one of them. Uh, yeah. uh, another another person in the mumble frequently Fretzel is one of them and they've been using it for, for the beta for a long time and had no problems at all so it does matter what distro is implementing the plasma 5 so rodden do you think it's a little uh, inappropriate and maybe a little premature for certain distributions to be shipping the plasma 5 desktop i think it used to be now it's uh, understandable like uh, 5.4 is very close to being um a solid release and even production ready but you have to have the latest version of 5.4. So the latest good quality version is 5.4.2. Netrunner has 5.4.1, uh, which is not as polished. Right, right. Because yeah. they yeah. make new releases all the time, mm-hmm. and if you don't keep up with it... But the odd thing is that of all distros, Kubuntu is keeping up with it. Because they're, they're, they're currently, their beta is currently 5.4.2. And how much they're going to keep up with the PPA or whatever, who knows? Yeah. But uh, I think five four is good enough. I think five five is going to be like the first solid production ready everything. This is what I've been hoping about five five and and Wes. Uh, I'm I'm almost virtually positive you're not a Plasma desktop user. I have have you experimented been. with it since the five zero releases come out, and since then, have you looked at it? Uh, yes. Um. I have installed a preview of it uh, when it was very new. I have not used it since maybe five one five two. I don't quite remember which version it was. Um, and I like a lot of what they're doing. I have I do not have personal experience though with is mm-hmm. it production ready. And that's you know a lot of these. things. What is the threshold for you before you would be willing to try it out? Is it just your workflow is is good enough now, or is it you've heard enough horror stories that you're not even interested? I think I fall in the I tolerate crashes and setbacks a little better than a lot of people. Yeah, um, yeah. I have a little more yeah. flow in my workflows than some, so that's not a huge deal to me. Um, 
so maybe now maybe now is the perfect time for me to give it a shot yeah and uh i so my takeaway was is i actually uh, for a long time uh, was a kde user i actually really really there's elements of the plasma 5 desktop i like a lot and i have found different iterations of the 5 desktop to be more stable than other right that variability uh, yeah and so for me i just i can't help but take a i when i start having these problems i can't help but take a step back and go wow what if i was an average user and I didn't know to expect this, or I didn't know this was beta, or I didn't know how to solve this problem, This some of these things I run into would, to me, be fundamentally unsolvable problems that make them unusable. And a lot of times when I get the, when I get the feedback about you hate KDE, it's, I think it's misinterpreted as, I think there's a lot of use cases where Plasma 5 doesn't make sense, and there's some where Plasma 5 does make sense. And I just think there's a lot fewer use cases where Plasma 5 makes sense than even Plasma 4. So, anyways, uh, I, uh, I it is getting there. Uh, I, I'm not, I, but I, I hate I hate the idea that if we if we critique a few things, we come across as anti KDE. Right. That's not really my intention. You're still interested in it succeeding and absolutely developing. And That's why I keep checking follow, it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, K- no. KDE actually is an interesting issue um, because when when I was a, as a I'm a known fanboy and I have been for like a decade and. When I used KDE4, I noticed some problems that were fixed in 5. So Plasma 5 had all, like 99% of what I hated about 4 was in 5. So I was like, I'm, I'm excited for 5. And it helped me kind of pull back from critiquing 4 and saying, well, God, this is crap, this is crap. Yeah. And realize that it's going to be better. But right now, just look at the different pieces of what makes KDE good. So it's a weird approach. Like if I had done this test that I did uh, later, earlier this year, if I had transitioned two years ago, it'd have been completely different. I would have hated KDE. Hmm. But now, since I had the perspective that the stuff that I hate is going to be fixed or is already fixed, you know they're working that, on it, right? Well, our, like there's here's here's the biggest problem that I have with KDE four is that if you like people who like dark themes, which is a lot of people now. I'm one of them. I have a dark theme uh, globally associated to my KDE, and I'm a big fan of that. But if you do a KDE 4 dark theme, it will destroy the look of Firefox. Like, it's <laughs> awful. Oh, like, that's it, annoying. It, it, yeah, it fixes it, – it actually makes improvements on some applications. Like if you, for example, just load up file, FileZilla, mm-hmm. FileZilla is, is hideous by default. But KDE will fix it and make it look good, which is weird. But it makes it look good. But it takes Firefox and just like Firefox and Thunderbird and makes them just completely crap that you have to stop and fix it or not use it. Well, that's interesting because Firefox and Thunderbird have their own theming things that you would think would override well, that anyway. It's because they're based on GTK2. Right. Oh. Um, yep. yep. And that's that's the fundamental problem of the UI. But if you run Thunderbird and Firefox in Plasma 5, that problem is gone. They have fixed it completely. Hmm. So that that problem that I originally go, holy crap, this is awful. I'm not really pissed off about it because I know it's been fixed and I'm going to get a better version soon. Yeah, it does help when you know they're working on it. Um, that is very true. And actually, Alan, since you're here, I guess I'd kick it over to you. Uh, is KDE a better BSD citizen than GNOME or has GNOME been pretty good about when they when they build something that, say, requires login D, they work with – well, other projects to make sure that so at BSD can this year uh, one of the gnome developers presented uh, a talk at our conference oh, explaining yeah? how nice. they actually have 
uh, FreeBSD in their continuous integration system. Oh, okay. So that they, because uh, the problem before was, you know, KDE developers make a commit that breaks FreeBSD. Six months later, they do a release on that. Right. And then eventually, that, shortly after, that gets ported to FreeBSD. And eventually, a user gets it and tries it and finds a problem. By then, the developer that made the change, it's been eight months and he's moved on to something else. Yeah, for sure. So uh, by integrating FreeBSD into their <laughs> continuous configuration system, they find these bugs within 24 hours. And uh, so it's helped them ensure that GNOME runs properly on, on FreeBSD. That's good. By actually doing that. And uh, we're glad to be able to provide them the help they needed to get that going and to see that they actually have an interest in doing that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Heaven's Revenge, you think you've got it figured out why people think I'm anti-KDE. Take it, sir. Oh, yes. But one quick thing on the FreeBSD usage. Yeah. Well, considering FreeBSD uses Clang as its default compiler, it can also use a lot of static analysis and find a bunch of crazy corner case bugs that the Linux distribution, which used GCC as default, might not find. So it might help the stability on the BSD platform versus... Hmm. That's an interesting point. Uh, all right. So uh, that helps definitely in the back end, in the background. So uh, is it something I've been saying? Is it the way I talk about it? What is it? <laughs> well, we used to love on KDE, but then you know how GNOME had a very rocky start. Yeah. It used to suck back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so it when we started seeing it improve, we were trying to give it props and have people not be scared to try it. So we're giving a lot of positivity to to GNOME usage. So that might be why people are thinking that you're being negative about KDE by, enc- by encouraging the areas that need uh, fixing and things like that. So, you know, usage or at least attempt. Yeah, I actually, uh, we did some episodes dedicated to the issues with GNOME 3. Uh, it was, in fact, I remember, um, I remember being, uh, <laughs> I, it took, it took years. In fact, it wasn't until January 5th, 2014, uh, uh, season 30, episode 4 of the Linux Action Show. So it has been a while now. Back in the seasons. Yeah, back to the seasons where we said, Gnome's getting good enough now. Like, it wasn't until J- January 5th, 2014 that we said, now Gnome is turning the corner and it's worth checking out. And until then, we were not of that opinion. Yep. Uh, and it's it's just, there is a threshold, like you were saying, and I think maybe this is something worth exploring a little bit. You're willing to live with a few extra bugs. Assuming it's something I'm interested in and it makes it worthwhile to check out. And Rodden, it was kind of saying the same thing. He's willing to live with a few extra bugs if he knows they're working on it. And I think it is interesting that people were very critical of GNOME and now there's a lot of people who, that's all been, you know, it's gone now. People people yeah. base their whole work well, on it. Now there's nothing to fear of what it used to be. Yeah, the, the problems that GNOME had is now just more like philosophical differences rather than actual technical differences. So yeah, yeah, true, true. I think true. the same thing's going to happen to KDE. Yeah. So uh, what so is I it? The real problem was your comment was, you know, why is this, was it scientific project, was it? Wait, what? Should, no, uh, the VLA. The, oh, oh, I, that I was surprised that they were using. Noah's comment. I was surprised right. that they were using KDE because it was an old Red Hat installation, which means it was a very old KDE installation. Right, but the reason to use KDE in that setting is... Because you're 
scientists are Windows users, and they're coming over, and the yeah, buttons are in the I same agree. place, and it I looks agree. the same. I think it's the reason why I use KDE. Boy, but if you're understand. a KDE advocate, that's not the number one reason you want people using KDE. I wouldn't think. Well, no, but but I, it's because it yeah. makes switching easier. Yeah, yeah. And, does, and as far as deploying something for scientists to use, that's the main thing. Yeah, I agree. I think that's why they were using it too. Uh, it was just a it was a throwaway comment that didn't leave a lot of room for. I mean, I didn't feel like going into a five minute explanation about it, but that right. was that was right. essentially it. Uh, uh, I agree, Kitson. You have a a comment you want to make about combativeness? Yeah, I've noticed that the uh, KDE devs, for the most part, like on the forums and even in IRC, can tend to be a little bit combative about their decisions and whatnot uh, when they do receive criticisms or suggestions. Uh, just like what you have mentioned time and time again about like the sound module and whatnot, and it still hasn't remained changed, and it still is a problem. Yeah, it's kind of funny how much of a problem it is too. Uh, if you have if you have a computer that has built-in speakers and a headphone jack, HDMI out, and like say maybe like a USB audio device, I understand this is maybe not a super common setup. But I am describing the setup of anybody that has a laptop and then hooks up a USB sound card. It can't be that uncommon, right? Right. right. Because most laptops have HDMI that does audio. Most laptops have a headphone jack. And if you hook up a USB sound device, it's not that weird. Now you got three. And so what we discovered in the latest version that we detested was the way you make sure that sound goes out the right sound card. Because in a lot of applications like Mumble and Skype, they just say, we're going to use whatever the Pulse Audio default is. You You can't specify what the default sound card is. You can just choose default Pulse audio device. So you have to mandate in Pulse what your default device is system-wide. Okay, I can roll with that. Not a big deal. So I go, I go in there, and the only way to make sure that the sound is going out the right sound card is by actually turning off all the other sound cards. Oh. So instead of selecting your sound card, it is a process of elimination. You go to the HDMI adapter, you turn it off. You go to the built-in headphone jack, you turn it off. You go to the built-in speakers, you turn it off. And then you go to your, your USB audio device and you choose from five different options in the drop-down, analog, stereo, uh-huh. duplex. I don't know why it has to have all those different options. I don't know why it has to be a process of elimination. And I actually had to have some, I had to have Rikai come down here and verify with his own eyes that I was doing the right thing because the UI is so odd and so weird. Now, is that a big deal? Once you learn it, no. But when you pick it up, it is very, very strange. And I think these are legitimate points that we make. I, I, all right, all right. I have one rebuttal for that. All right. It's because of the, per, the quality of the, the hardware you have to use is higher end using different connections you're going to have you're going to deal with stuff like that but if for like a regular consumer user who has a usb headset for example will not have a problem with that because the usb headset will show up in mumble but they still have to you would actually still have to go into the settings and because i have a usb headset right now and mumble associated just to mumble and i haven't touched well that's pulse pulse has set that as your default sound device you got you got lucky I mean, you got lucky there. Maybe. I mean, well, because, because my, my USB audio device didn't get set as the default audio device. No, no, I'm not using the default. You can go and mumble. Oh, if you have oh, a USB oh, device, oh, you can go and mumble oh, and say, gotcha. use yeah. this device. Anyways, I, I felt like, I feel like, I guess the core point is I feel like every time we try to say these things need to be improved, we get, we get a lot of criticism for hating something. I don't know why we have to hate just to be able to criticize. Criticism does not equal hate. Yeah. Criticism equals caring enough about something to say, hey, this could be improved upon. I don't know. If it like, it's, it, it kind of goes back to the, the episode from last week of the conversation of if there's a technical problem, it's okay to, pr- to point it out. 
And that's yeah. pretty much what you were doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, speaking of technical stuff, that co- first of all, the Plasma desktop is filled with awesome technical stuff. But uh, there is a really cool piece of software that uh, Roddenkorps actually had a chance to uh, do a write-up on called KD Connect. And you can sync your Android device with your Linux computer. And this is really, really nice. In fact, you don't even really have to be a KD desktop user to take advantage of it. But this is an example of some really cool technology. So before we get into that, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at Ting, my mobile service provider, linux.ting.com, the uh, internet service provider of the JB Rover as well. Ting is pay-for-what-you-use mobile service. How cool is that? It's a flat $6 for the line, and then you just pay for what you use. I'm not even joking. That's seriously how it's structured. It's $6 for the line. Cell phone, MiFi, Ting don't care. They're honey badger about it. It's just $6 and your usage, your minutes, your messages, your megabytes, no BS charges, no extra stuff, no early termination like charges because there's no contract, nothing like that. In fact, not only is there no contract, but they have an early termination relief program. I love it. They have an aggressively awesome customer service department. I'd love for you to try them out at one eight five five ting ftw They have fantastic online communities. And because Ting is so cool and they're kind of changing things up a little bit, there are some uber-passionate community members that definitely want to help you out. It's really, really cool. What I love about Ting is that I'm able to go at it with a little bit of intelligence and a little bit of flexibility. So I know that I have X amount of devices. I want to put them all on one plan. I don't want to have to sit here and nickel and dime myself either. I want to have three or four devices and I just want to pay a pool of minutes across them for whatever they use. So if i got a couple of phones that I don't use very much or a MiFi device that I don't use very much – I only pay for the device that is actually using the service. And here's another thing I love about Ting. GSM service and CDMA service. Boomsies! So that way you got a compatible device almost guaranteed in your house because guess what? Cell phones have been around for a while. You bring it over to Ting, and when you go to linux.ting.com, you're going to get the discount off a phone. But if you got a phone that's working on these GSM or CDMA networks, and you probably do, $25 service credit. That paid for more than my first month of Ting. Here's the other, another nice thing about Ting. Excellent, excellent dashboard. Really good. It really solves all of the problems. I have been a Ting customer for over two years, and I've had to call them for a grand total of twice. And the first time I called them, I was like, eh, might as well just call them and see what it's like. Second time I called them, it was totally legit. And man, they were like a dog with a bone when it came to my problem. They, I, I honestly, it was 20 minutes into the issue, and I thought for sure the customer service rep was going to start wrapping me up and apologizing and just letting me go. Man, she stuck with the issue. Like, it was super impressive. It felt really good because I could tell that my time was valuable to Ting. I love their dashboard. I love their customer service, linux.ting.com. I want you to check them out. $6 a month for your phone. And yes, you can go pick up the Nexus 5X and the Nexus 6P and bring them over to Ting. That's right. You can officially bring the Nexus 5 or Nexus P to Ting. Powerful and well-priced. You can get the Google edition if you're going to get yourself a Google phone. You can check it out. Ting's going to be doing an unboxing very soon. But here's the power user tip. Just go get a SIM card. They got GSM and CDMA SIM cards for $9. And when you go to linux.ting.com, you get a $25 discount. If you have a device that needs to do updating over text messages, check in for stats, update any kind of remote information, like a I mean, for example, my buddy Chase, I thought was brilliant about this. He went and got one of these uh, home security systems that just transmits an image when it detects motion and, 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 a, and a condition has been triggered. Very nice. And when that happens, it just sends him an image over the Ting CDMA network. 
Just sends it to him. Or actually, up right on his phone. I think he's using GSM. And it just, yeah, he gets the push notification wow. on his phone and he can bring it up. And then if he wants to, he can initiate a real time stream. Now, when Chase was first looking at building that, he's like, well, I could go get a $30, $40, and $60 a month different. These are like my different plan options. Or I can go do Ting, $6 a month, pay for what I use. Noah buys like a batch of these GSM SIM cards. And then as he gets the devices, he pops them in there and boom, he's got Ting service on it now. That's it's so easy. really cool. It is really, really cool. You can go to linux.ting.com to get our discount. And also, go check out their blog to find out details about the new Nexus devices with that USB-C connector. You know what I like about the uh, 5X and the 6B Nexus devices? Not only are they Google Edition devices, but they have GSM and CDMA antennas in them. And if you combine that, I mean, just think about this for a second. So you can be on Ting. You pay for what you use. You get all the devices are unlocked. So it's like you really own the device. And then with, like, the Nexus line of devices... You can pick between CDMA and GSM depending on what you need, where you're going, all that stuff. That is awesome. Really slick. Really, really slick. Linux.ting.com to support the show. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. That is very awesome. All right, Mr. Roddenkorps. Now, tell me about KDE Connect because it promises to sync my Android device with my Linux desktop. And I'm thinking to myself, man, wouldn't this be nice to finally, if I mark something as red somewhere, it's marked as red on both devices, if I get a notification, or maybe if I just want to check basic connectivity. And so this kind of sounds like it's right up my alley. And when you, from what you were telling me on the pre-show, I don't necessarily even have to be a KDE user, do I? Nope, you don't. Um, there's an app indicator, and there's also a shell extension for, uh, for GNOME to use... App, to, to oh, use an app indicator cool. or to use just KDE Connect Daemon. Uh, not all of the features are available to, like, there's actually only one problem if you're not a KDE user, and that is you can't send the connection from the phone to uh, accept on the com- on the computer because okay. the KDE notifications are the only ones that have that functionality built in. Okay. Like, it, it will display, but the functionality doesn't work in other DEs. All so right. you send the connection from the applet, and it's fine. Um, but the reason why KDE Connect is awesome is not like a lot of people look at it as a notification system, and originally that's what it was. But there's it's beyond that ridiculous now. Um, you can you sync notifications, yes, that's cool. Hmm. But it has uh, wireless mounting of your Android device to your file Ooh, manager. Wow, oh that's cool. Yeah, yeah. it has cr- uh, multi-device clipboard synchronization. So, uh, yes. synchronization. So you have you you copy something on your desktop. It will uh, then copy it to your phone, and then KDE Connect will handle it, sending it to every other device that is currently connected at that time. Huh. And I've tested it through like five different computers, and it all syncs immediately, and there's no lag whatsoever. You just move to the next one; it's there. That's cool. That is really slick. Then it also has uh, remote uh, input controls, which ridiculously awesome. And I don't, I don't, you know, I, I never thought I would do it until I tested it on a tablet. It's, it's amazing. You basically turn your tablet into a touchpad. Oh, like so, a mouse. Yeah, you have a mouse. So you have a, a remote mouse that you can use, and you can also have do keyboard. Your key, your Android keyboard can be your keyboard for your computer. Yeah, I know so uh, Chris Moore to do PCBSD or. Um, now with uses his Android cell phone to control his media center. Really? To like pause and play and scrub through videos. That is so cool. You can so do that cool. with KDE Connect as well, yes. Yeah. And this is, another cool thing about that is that you it'll, it doesn't work with every player, but it works for like VLC and um, Clementine and, and a lot of applications work. So the ones this. I use? Yeah. 
pretty much. So it works with the only thing I the only player I couldn't find I could find that would not work was MPV, and that's just because they haven't built the functionality in. But um, there's there's another cool thing about the media player is it is not only you know controlling media from your phone to your computer it also allows you to to use your your uh, your phone as a reference to when to Ooh. lower the volume or mute it so if you get a phone call it will mute your music on your computer so that is the, slick yeah and then as soon as you hang up the phone call the music is back up wow okay that almost sells me on it right there i mean the vlc thing so i have been using i can't remember oh shoot uh uh Rika, I might know if he's if he's watching live, but I've been using a a Linux and Android app. Oh, where is it? Dang it! Unified Remote, Unified Remote. I've been using Unified Remote for a while to essentially accomplish a tiny fraction of what you're talking about. Unified Remote has a little daemon that you install on your Linux box that makes your 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 remote touch device act like a keyboard input device or a mouse. And you can yep. control VLC and stuff like that, but you don't get like the pausing and the muting. I mean, that is genuinely slick. The level of integration yeah. here seems yeah almost unbelievable. It's more than that too. You also can like make it where it'll display your battery percentage of your phone on your computer. Oh, that's nice. So you can easily switch, and that's just that's another little nicety. But there's uh, other things that you can send files back and forth from the phone to the computer. So if you send a file from your phone, it will go to your downloads folder in your computer. <sighs> And it, like it does, there's not even everything I've mentioned. Uh, like there's not there's, everything I've mentioned is not all what it does. What it's is it using more. on the back end? Is it using like to transfer the files? Is it using SSHFS? Is it using yes? Oh, SSHFS does the file management. So does for. the phone and the app on the phone have like a login to your computer? How does that work? Yeah, you you essentially you um, use SSH to share keys between the devices so that your like it will remember your devices and what like your names and things like that based on the SSH key. Okay, that is nice. Ooh. I love that it's doing over SSH. And does that? How possible is it to do some of this stuff outside your LAN? Like, say, if you so, have the port forwarding setup. Right now, it's not technically well. Actually, over your LAN, if you have if you go through the process of port forwarding, you could probably you can make it work. Um, or a VPN. you probably need a dynamic right. DNS or something like yeah. that too. But yeah, um, but if you. But another cool thing is that they're working on currently, like the next re- release are two features that are coming that are even more awesome. That makes this is actually one of the KDE Connect is one of the tools that makes me love KDE Project because of like all the amazing stuff they're building for it. Uh, and then two things that are coming now is replying to SMS oh, from your computer. Yeah, wow. And Bluetooth support. So instead of Wi Fi, it's Bluetooth that handles the. Yeah, signals back and forth. And I agree with Heavens. This stuff kind of thing is much better over the land. The only thing is, is when I'm out and about, and they, I know this is stupid, but they keep putting better and better cameras and mobile phones, and so I right. can't help but use it for stuff. And then I'm like, okay, now I want to immediately send that back to the studio. Yeah, so that could be really yeah. cool. So uh, now I don't not to jump a hot, not to jump ahead, but I kind of wanted to have a caveat in here for the Mint users because apparently you ran into <laughs> some issues there. Yeah, I did. So <laughs> I like the meme. Mint. <laughs> Yeah, Mint does the. I don't know why they do this. I, I I kind of get it, but it also doesn't make sense because if just based on the hierarchy of where you put the news source, it's that's all you need to do. But for some uh-huh. reason, the Mint team decided to put the priority of their packages on their repos higher than Ubuntu, but the PPAs default lower than the propri- than the priority that Mint does. So if you put your PPA on top of the list 
uh, on Ubuntu, it uses that PPA, but because they're both 500 level priority. But Mint, for some reason, does a 700 priority. Mm. So even if you install that PPA, it's going to completely ignore it. <laughs> so you have to change the policy of Mint on your computer, or you have to install with a dev file. So I assume if I install this on my pretty much known pure system, there's going to be a, quite a bit of dependencies that it's going to pull down. Yeah, it'll it will yeah. depend. It will bring in some KDE libraries. Yeah, yeah. Like I've had there was a people a couple people who asked me questions uh, on the article and in uh, Reddit, like where they were confused by because a lot of people consider like the, the KDE dependency is like a horrible thing, but it it brings in packages and if if you're as long as you're you know not in 1998 you don't really have to care about the size of the package. That's true. And yeah. the, and the honest the honest truth is is a lot of times with the QT stuff once you pull it in once pretty much they're going forward all the other QT apps you need are going to rely You just like, shocked that first time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you know and I pretty it's, much got over that the first time I installed Quasal. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. not the it's not the disk space so much though cuz with with uh, the KDE Connect stuff it requires the um, the KDE base. Yeah. So you've got a that whole a quiet bit KDE more. that's running in the background Ooh, on you know right. behind it does your add, GNOME or it's, whatever. It's running okay. a few things in the okay. background, but it's not it's not like it's running uh, it's not running QT in the background for anything, and it's not running uh, like Plasma or anything like that. But you're pulling those packages out. in, right? You're pulling in the KDE base packages, which is quite a bit of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. It's probably it, most of the times not all that of. Uh, Avoid. I mean, it's not it's not all avoidable because there's a lot of apps that require that. Yep. I mean, even on a GNOME system, there's a lot of apps that you end up still pulling that down. So yeah, that's not it's, bad. It's not it's not a big deal. It used to be a big deal, but now that it's kind of like one of those legacy issues that people complain about ten years ago that was relevant then that isn't now, but people still complain about. It. I bet you though. I bet Wimpy's to Wimpy's point. I bet you it's enough that it won't ship. By default, in any non-KDE distros, right. this is going to be That's probably true. this is going to be a bit of a leg up. This is a nice advantage. This KDE Connect is really nice. I know it. Once I, I hope it works. I'm excited to try it when I go home. Well, and and Wes, I kind of you know when when you, when I think about convergence, this to me feels a little more like a long my speed. Like it's yep. uh, you know um, being able to send files back and forth using SSHFS, the notifications, things like that. It's a little more like I'm I'm. What I like about this are two things. Number one is it gets sort of two devices that weren't really communicating before but doing a lot of the same jobs talking. Yep. Love that. Number two is it's essentially Apple's uh, hand job. I mean handoff or whatever they call it. Uh, but, <laughs> but for Apple, you have to have a really new Mac that has Bluetooth 4.0 LE and you have to have it like at least an iPhone 5 or something or better for any of this stuff to work. And here Linux comes along. It's like, oh, yeah, you got Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and Android and KDE or KDE dependencies. You're good to go. No yes. special hardware required. I also like that it lets you kind of separate things. Maybe you like different programs on your phone versus, you know, or different yeah, different workflow styles you on your phone versus your full-size computer. Yeah. So here you can just share the data without sharing, right. sharing the app. So also, to point out, uh, another important thing about KD Connect is it pertains to the, um, you know, they actually adopt the whole customization thing as well in KDE Connect. So every plugin that is available to KDE Connect can be turned off on any device that you want it to be. Mm. Oh, very nice. That is very regular. So for some reason, if you don't like the clipboard synchronization, you can turn it off. And you probably so, will love it. So what's the, what's the advantage over something like this versus, like, say, uh, Push Bullet or uh, AirDroid? Push Bullet. They, like, well, Push Bullet only does the, like, well, Air, AirDroid. I hate AirDroid. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people who talk about AirDroid is, is great, but you have to activate the login connection every single time you use it. Like, ugh, awful. Anyway, well, this one 
KDE Connect stores the, the connections and they work consistently regardless. I have never mm-hmm. had a, a connection drop yeah. at yeah. all. Oh, even really? With, like even with Wi-Fi mounting of the fi- the file system, I never have a problem. I don't have to worry about losing access while I'm moving files over or anything. It it's I've never had a problem, and um, it allows me to control every aspect to it. And it has features that Push Bullet, for example, only has like notification and a file connection. It Push Bullet does have SMS response, but that's coming soon in KDE Connect. Mm-hmm. And uh, but another good thing is uh, none of those are open source. Oh, so that's exactly that's a good point. So uh, I had boy, it's been uh, holy crap! Oh my god, it's been a year almost. It's been a year and about a week. About a year and a week ago, I met the developer of KDE Connect when he first started working on this. And he, I, I'm going to get it wrong, but I can't remember what con- country he moved from. Let's just say, let's just pretend like it's Germany. But he just moved to... Country A. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what actually matters is he had just moved to Seattle. Hey. Yeah. So uh, he was in Seattle, and I went to a KD users group because I hate KD so much. So I go to KD users group, and uh, just I was to rag on everyone there. Yeah, right. Yeah, just because I could tell Eggs them and that's you're horrible. all wrong. You're all making a mistake. Yeah, that's what I do when I go to KD users groups. And uh, I went down there and I talked to him, and uh, I told him like how awesome it is, and I talked to him also. There was some other there was designers there and things like that, and I was asking him where where it was going next, and he's like, well, you know, just going to keep working on it. And so here we are a year later, and it is slick. Yeah. It is really slick. Very like, nice, Ron. And they, they need to work on their marketing more because they, they don't – that's one of the reasons I wanted to write an article about it is because it is – when I never used it because I didn't use KDE. Then I used KDE, <laughs> and I was like, wow, this, this, is, this would make me want to use KDE. Mm-hmm. But because I don't have to use KDE, it makes it even better. And another thing is it doesn't require Android. It also works on BlackBerry. Oh, and um, they're yeah. working on an iOS version as well. What? What? Mm-hmm. No. If that lands, that'll. No way. No, no yeah. way. How can that even work? iOS. <laughs> Do, does iOS support networking? I don't think iOS supports. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they probably won't have absolutely everything, yeah. but it'll still it'll still yeah. give something that the you know at least it doesn't leave them out completely or anything. But there is there is one thing that should be mentioned that as far as a. Uh, a versioning caveat. Mm-hmm. Um, you need 0.7.3 or higher to use the keyboard remote keyboard feature. That's pretty much it. Everything else works with regardless of the version. Okay. But um, so, like the 1404 and stuff based on that has 0.73 or 0.71. So you would need to add a PPA to get the functionality for that. But everything else works great. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, this is something I'm going to play with, I think. I, I, You know, after looking at it a while ago, I think I definitely have to check it out again. And you can, too. Uh, Mr. Rotten Corpse has a write-up at makeuseof.com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes where he goes through all of this, which is very handy. So we'll have a link to that. Thank you, Rotten Corpse. I, um, I, my appetite has been whetted, as they say. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> I believe so. I think that's, that's the right Next thing. week we'll have tried it and we'll be uh, much yeah. better synchronized and more yeah, prepared right? for, yeah. for the show. So just wait for that. <laughs> You'll be, be KDE KD Connect fanboys as well. I think so. Uh, uh, Wimpy, I know you're still around. Don't go anywhere. I've got a question for you about uh, your connectivity and the key point to that connectivity, your router. But before we get to that, I want to thank our next sponsor, and that's the great folks over at DigitalOcean. Check out DigitalOcean.com, a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. That's what they say. I say... 
a really fast Linux rig. That's how I would say it. Spin up your own fast Linux rig up in the cloud, one that is damn fast because it's connected to the super fast SSDs, a great connection, and it's sitting in a rocking data center. And you can get started in less than 55 seconds and pricing plans start at only $5 a month. $5 a month to get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. But if you use the promo code, now get ready for this because it's completely brilliant. DO unplugged. DO unplugged. No way. One word, lowercase, you put that thing into the DigitalOcean thingy there, and it's like some sort of magic. It's like How do- can it do so much? You know what? It's like Donald Trump walks up to you, and he says, you know what? First of all- I do wine because I want to win. And here's $10. It's like Donald Trump gives you $10 for DigitalOcean. Boom! You put it in your DigitalOcean droplet. You can try it out for two months for free when you do the $5 rig. Now, DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, and a brand new one in Toronto. Yeah, when you want to avoid the NSA, that's where you go. Uh, DigitalOcean didn't write that. I'm just saying. If you want to have your data, Straight in, from Chris's mouth. If you want to have your data in the North America region and you don't want the NSA reading all of it, you could go check out the, the Toronto Data Center. Hashtag just saying. Now, also, their interface. Let's talk about that. Holy moly. If I could legally get married to an interface, that would be the one. I tell you what. I would go into the courthouse. I would say I'm going to marry DigitalOcean's interface for the rest of my life. I until will officiate right part. now. That's Thank fine. you. Thank yep, you, absolutely. Wes. I appreciate that. And I would then go home and I would consummate that marriage with DigitalOcean's interface. It that part so I good. will not be there for. But here's what I'll do, Wes, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm real slick, as I'm going to use their API because they have a straightforward API. And let me tell you something. If you want to scale up, the API is the way to go. You want to go deploy on demand. Maybe you want to scale your infrastructure because they got hourly pricing. Did you know they have hourly pricing? It's true. They got hourly pricing. And you plug it into something like Chef or Puppet. Just scale up on demand or whatever you want. I'm not going to judge. Tons of code out there you can already take advantage of. DigitalOcean takes these platform features seriously. Here's a few tent poles of DigitalOcean that I like a lot. All based on Linux. Yeah, that rocks. KVM for the backend virtualization. What you got? SSDs throughout. Tier 1 data connections. Great interface. And last but not least, really good community documentation. Tutorials that they've paid for. They've hired full-time editors to make sure that they rock. I mean, really good stuff that makes taking advantage of DigitalOcean Droplet really straightforward. So you get it deployed. You use the one-click application to get your basic stack up. Maybe you want to also throw Ghost on top of that or GitLab or whatever it is. And then you're like, well, geez, this $5 rig has still got a ton of horsepower left. I should use it for something else. Trust me, this is going to cross your mind because you're going to be blown away with how powerful these things are. So then you go to the community section. That's really where they take it up a notch. Go over to DigitalOcean.com, remember that promo code Unplugged, and take a look at the community section. Three ways to securely browse the internet with an open VPN on Debian 8. Now that is a handy, handy tutorial for DigitalOcean. Imagine turning your DO droplet into an open VPN server. I love that. How to mitigate a denial of service attack against your website with Cloudflare. Let's go look at like that one. That's got to be fairly interesting, I would imagine, because I'm not a huge Cloudflare fan. But you know what? I've never really had an opportunity to integrate it properly. I love this kind of stuff. So many good apps, so many good documentation, so many, so much good tutorials. All this stuff is available for free. And I'm going to be honest, some of it's not even specific to DigitalOcean. No, it is not. <laughs> you could go use that stuff regardless. It's a great reference for yeah, a lot of exactly. things. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Then when you are ready to use DigitalOcean, just use that promo code Unplugged. Get the $5 credit for two months. Try it out absolutely free. No credit card required. It's insanely great. DigitalOcean.com, promo code Unplugged. Also, you could probably get paid for doing a write-up. They pay anywhere between $100 to $200 for technical tutorials. Potential writers can submit a writing sample to become a tutorial writer. Just find out more by going to DigitalOcean's community website, digitalocean.com slash community slash get-paid-to-write.
They have positions available right now. You go do that. You write a few, a few tutorials a month. You can live out of an RV for the month. <laughs> DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged. And a real big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Guys, go check it out. It is a really cool system. If you were going to build a hosting system around Linux, this is what you'd make. You know, and that, that KVM part cannot be oversold. I've been fighting with a uh, provider on a less than capable virtualization platform recently yeah. that I'd already paid for and uh, yes, hasn't quite course. expired, right? Yes. Uh, and trying to get some IP tables modules loaded. <laughs> you don't need that on DigitalOcean. It's KVM. You've got full control. That's you just right. load them yourself. It's That's great. right. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged, And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. You guys are rocking it. Love seeing that. So I want to talk about something that's more than just an open source router. It's an open source center of your home. A home router, they say, is necessary to connect you to the Internet. But that's just sitting there idle most of the time when you're not using the Internet, eating electricity. And boy, have I noticed that recently. So why not use your home router to do more things? More powerful hardware can handle gigabit traffic. Maybe it could act as a home NAS, a print server. Maybe even... A virtual server. Now, before I get into how crazy this is, I wanted to bring in Wimpy because uh, I know that, if I recall, Wimpy has some sort of eccentric setup that involves, like, antennae, wave transmissions, and all kinds of stuff. And, Wimpy, if you could remind me about your setup and how do you actually bring that into your house? Like, what is the router you're using and all of that stuff? I'm really curious because I'm looking at different solutions to bring internet connectivity into the rover, and I keep hitting up against once you have, like, an antenna, you have to bring that into something, and that seems to be where things fall apart. Okay. Well, I'm speaking to you now over the power of shortwave radio broadband. I love it! (laughs) You sound good, Wendy. You do sound good. You (laughs) always sound good. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, um, my um, backhaul is about... Uh, four miles from here uh, over the other side of the trees um, so there's um, it's uh, Microtech um, you know, oh, Noah sure. has spoken about these in the past so uh, running up the side of the house okay. uh, there's an aerial with uh, a directional Microtech uh, radio which is the um, the piece that actually does the connection between uh, the house and the back hall that's capable of sustaining 100 megabits, um, but I'm only paying for 12. Oh, so okay. I have a 12, 12 megabit connection. Right. 12, 12 down, 4 up. Do you mind like um, roughly giving me an idea of what that costs you? That costs about £45 a month. Okay, so that's not that's bad. that's about $60, hmm. something yeah. like that. Seems pretty reasonable. Well, I mean, for 12 and megabits... And that's unmetered as, okay. that's unmetered okay. as okay. well. Okay. All right, I'll take it. Um, I'll take it. And... And I know it's unmetered because one month I kind of got carried away with my radar analysis and I pulled one and a half terabytes across the the network That's in a an month. That's an excellent test. And yeah, they they contacted me to say, "Have you got a virus?" But oh, they yeah. weren't at all bothered that I'd actually shifted. That <laughs> we just want to make sure that it's not malware. <laughs> yeah, they care about you. That's so. Crazy. So the, the aerial and the radio, that's connected uh, via power over Ethernet. So the cable comes down the side of the house through a, you know, a small hole in the wall, uh, runs along the back of the skirting board behind me here, and into a little um, adapter and PoE um, converter. Okay. nice. And uh, that's plugged into a UPS. So if the power in the house goes down, the internet doesn't. Nice. And then also plugged into the same UPS. I did used to have a Microtech router doing, you know, the home 
LAN and Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. But I've now got a TP-Link uh, router okay. that I flashed um, Gargoyle router onto, which is a uh, open WRT derivative and in my opinion is the best of the open source router projects. really and you know what's interesting is the tp link seem to be very very popular for this particular type of activity gargoyle gargoyle-router.com does that sound right that's that's the one yeah and and the model that i've got i flashed myself but they have a number of models that you can actually buy from them pre-flashed so if you're at all concerned about being a warranty voider they will um they'll do the hard work for you and send you one pre-configured interesting i have not heard of gargoyle before maybe because this is i've a lot of a lot of people that are looking at the tp links are still doing w uh, 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 ddr uh, ddwrt and yeah, popular. and yeah those but i don't think they're getting updated as much anymore well, These are re- um, this is really good. This gets an update. Well, whenever there's a security exploit, this gets an update, and really? um, it's under active development. I'm I'm actually a version behind at the moment. Um, there's a new stable release out that I need to uh, update to. Rodden, have you heard of this before? Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's a fork of either OpenWRT or DDWRT. It's OpenWRT. Yeah. Okay, that's what it is. It's OpenWRT with a really nice UI UI on top. Okay. And the reason I found this is because I wanted to put new routers into my family, my extended family's houses after those big Netgear exploits a couple of years ago. Right. So I bought cheap TP-Link routers for like 20 quid a go, exactly. put Gargoyle on, the, on it and pre-configured them and then sent them all out to everyone's houses. I like this because the UI on this is really easy to use. You yeah, know, it it's steps not, above it's not the super complicated. Honestly, this seems like a great uh, Christmas gift idea for my family to yeah. do a few of these for like my. You know, they have a good setup. You yeah, can, you'll be confident that it'll last. It won't degrade. Right, and and uh, and, and, and and what I did is, you know, I set up the second wireless LAN. Yeah. To be common. For everybody. Ah. So when we all move between each other's houses, we can all get on each other's guest land. Oh, nice. that's that's looking ahead. That is thinking ahead. So when you go over to yeah. visit, you get on their Wi-Fi. Yeah. That's and everyone brilliant. does now because I only have to set their phones up once. <laughs> it doesn't matter where they go. They get on the Wi-Fi and there's the none of this. Oh, Martin, can you just configure, you know, eight phones? <laughs> right. Yes. You know, what's funny is um, years and years and years ago, in fact, there's a YouTube video about this, uh, I bought a bunch of Wi-Fi routers for my family and because I wanted to get them all digital picture frames to show them pictures of our newborn son. And I thought, here you go. Kodak has a good deal. I got, a, I got like four or five digital picture frames, but they all required wireless internet connectivity. And of course, this is long enough ago now, but six, Before that was common. six years ago, it just wasn't all that common that they had Wi-Fi. And so I bought them the Linksys models that you could replace the firmware on and did that. And now they all sit there. And some of my, I still come over six years later and like, oh, Christopher, we just want to thank you for that Wi-Fi router. Now that we have our new tablets, it is so nice to get online and check the Facebook to see the <laughs> pictures of the grandchildren. Right? Your relatives sound charming. Yeah, they are quite charming. And uh, and I didn't even think about, like, I it hasn't even crossed my mind what I'm going to do to replace their particular setup. But Wimpy, this is this is brilliant. And do you find the software is powerful enough for you as a, as a Linux power user, quote unquote? Yeah. Um, so I originally used this, you know, for my family for a low tech solution. Yeah. But actually, I found it so nice. You I use it for yourself use it now. Myself. Yeah. <laughs> I love Maybe it. seal I've... of approval. 
And so you have your wireless wave, whatever it is, broadband, shortwave, whatever. Magic internet ham, ham radio broadband coming into this, and it just acts yeah. as like a WAN port, I assume. Yeah, it just looks like an Ethernet WAN port to this router. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just configure a PPO. PPOE so it, it seems like to me the the biggest uh, challenge with this is you got to get you got to get in the right groove at the right time when it comes to hardware. So you've landed on these TP Link routers, which work pretty well, and it seems to be pretty popular amongst people that are, are equipping their RVs that I've been doing research for for different internet options. And the problem I have with that is that's a pretty solid recommendation for a year. But it's not like from a year from now, like somebody that's listening to episode 114 in a year from now, we could say, go get TP-Link model, blah, 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 blah. And maybe you know what it is. Do you know what it is off the top of your head, the TP-Link model that you're using? Yeah, mine's, it's still being sold. It's a TLWR10043N. And mine's about, I've had mine for about mm, a good while. Now, over two years. Don't, don't you find, though, that the kind of the biggest challenge here is that in a year from now, that won't necessarily be the right router to recommend to people? Like, this is the issue I have um, with the custom firmwares, is that you can say, you can you can give a recommendation today, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, a, in a six months or, or even three months from now, it's the right one. Well, when, when I did this, there was two models that I used, the model that I've got and a smaller model, both of which are still available, are still either 20 or 30 pounds, depending on which model you get. The, the revision of the board has changed, so mm. there's like a V1, V2, V3, mm-hmm. but they're all supported by this, and they've got, um, when you download the firmware, you know, from this website, it says, you know, this is for the V1 boards, this is for the V2 boards, okay. and so Very on. Nice. Okay, so they're still um, on top of and that. And the model, the model I'm using is the model that the company still sells pre-flashed. Okay. Also, the TP-Link uh, is not just replacing like functionality and stuff they're they're creating new versions of the same model so like the, mm, yeah. the compatibility still exists like my the, the router i have i bought i went to buy another one of that but they made a new version of it so it, and it's still compatible with gargoyle so that's cool you can you can even though they're making new versions of their hardware it's pretty pretty much still compatible anyway so let me introduce to you uh the tourist omnia which is trying to solve this particular problem. They say it's more than just a router. It's an open source center of your home. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but it's open. Or something har- you want. Right. It's open hardware. That's very true. Open hardware uh, running uh, uh, an OS based on open WRT. It has a dual core ARM processor running at uh, 1.6 gigahertz. They say with PC-like performance in here. And uh, it has, so here's 1.6 1.6 gigahertz dual core ARM CPU. Honestly, that does sound fast enough to be a router. Up to a gigabyte of RAM, four gigabytes of flash, five gigabit ports for the LAN, one gigabit port for the WAN. It supports USB 3.0. It has two mini PCI Express, one M SATA connector. It has three M- uh, MIMO, MIMO uh, 802.11ac ports and two 802.11bgn ports. Starting at a hundred USD for this thing, and uh, I'm look, I'm showing on the live on the video version here uh, a little schematics of it. it. has It has M SATA, like I mentioned, Mini PCI USB three M processor, Marvell processor, and and a SIM card slot for backup internet connectivity. How cool wow. is this little thing? Now, this I don't I don't know if this is actually practical or not. 
But uh, And I don't think this could replace the TP-Links today, Wimpy, but I look at this and I think maybe a year from now, something like this might be the direction we're pointing people for something like Gargoyle than a TP-Link. What do you think? Do you think something like this ARM-based could be the solution? What is your hardware right now? And when you look at this, does it sound like reason- a reasonable option? Okay, so uh, the box that I've got now, the, the router I was just describing, yeah. and it's a few years old, that's got five gigabit Ethernet ports, one one for the WAN and four for the LAN. And I just take one of those uh, gigabit LAN ports into a switch and then yeah, run right. everything um, yeah. gigabit that makes the switch. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So then, you know, you minimize how much of your local traffic is actually, you know, routing up yes. to the to the router. I would probably do it that way too. And uh, then I've got two HP micro servers um, as my, you know, media servers for the house. One one as the server and one as the backup. Um, Ooh, and AJ. I have it. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> Got to have that high availability, proper jo- baby. Proper job. <laughs> <laughs> I like your house. It's only yeah, cool. We can, we, get a, uh... can I do a Last Cribs episode? I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But by all means. I'll have to clear out the spare room, but you're welcome. Um. And I have experimented with uh, so um, went way back before I had shortwave radio broadband. I used to use three G to get on the internet, sure. and that was with a router with you know it had a WAN port and a USB port where you could plug in your three G dongle. Um, so I've done that you know high availability thing uh, briefly, mm-hmm. but um, I've always been nervous about using these more powerful home routers that you can plug usb hard do a whole bunch of things file servers yeah because wet because they're they're not very robust bits of kit and if they fail then you've lost everything you haven't just lost internet connectivity you've lost your lan as well so i sort of adopt the same approach to um to my kit that i do with the home cinema you know one device one job that makes sense, and and it's definitely been my approach for a really, really long time because it just means that, you know, troubleshooting is much easier, updates are much straightforward, a lot less to break. But I have to admit, I have a new perspective now, and that new perspective is how many, mm-hmm. how much power does something draw, and and uh, how much room does something take, and the two things that are real premium for for me right now are power draw. And the room that it takes up, in the, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking like, you know, I'm trying to fit stuff like under a chair. Like it is really like under a bench seat. It is really so, tight. So the, the, the routers obviously don't take up much because they're arm powered and uh, they, they, don't, they don't take up much space and they don't draw much power. Yeah, true. But I would still separate things, you know, on my uh, father-in-law's barge uh, had a, a wireless router with 3G. And the file server there was a Raspberry Pi. This is back a couple of years. Now, of course, I'd recommend using a Raspberry Pi 2. Right. Doesn't draw much power. And in fact, if you get one of those routers with the USB port on it, um, check the specs carefully. But there are some. You can actually power a Raspberry Pi off the USB port yeah. of the yeah. router. Yeah. yeah. And then instead of, you know, instead of going for huge amounts of spinning storage on the raspberry pi go for a bit less storage use an ssd connected to the usb port and then you don't need additional power to drive the ssd attached to the raspberry pi 
Yeah, I, I agree. I even even with limited space and limited power, I still think it's probably better to break them up. And uh, Wes got this. Uh, uh, I can't remember the brand name of it now, Wes, but you got me this uh, uh, router that uh, it, like it allows for different types of 3G connections. Yeah, how did that work? Did you well, use it at all? No, I haven't yet because I'm waiting to connect it to uh, a machine. But now, actually, probably over the next week or so, I probably will hook it up because I'm kind of now that I'm back and parked with the rover. Right. I'm kind of like working on like the technology land stuff because some of that stuff was like just too much to to deal with before the you road can't trip. Drive and uh, yeah, upgrade. well, and it was like the MiFi's kind of act as routers right. and Wi-Fi access points. So for the for a, for two weeks, they so they solved a problem, and I could make it work. But the biggest challenge was. I was I, at minimum. It was either two different MiFi's or a cell phone okay. that I was jumping between. Yep. And every time on every device, I'd have to go to each device and say, "Okay, now join this Wi-Fi network." That gets super old. And that router you got me totally solves that problem. So I, I think I'm going to try that for a while and see how that shapes out. And I'm going to keep an eye on this project and just kind of see if the uh, if the I, I think it's pronounced tourist T U R R I S. Omnia. If this results in something of of substance, you know, it's kind of. I would try this. It's kind of interesting. I, I was looking down at the bottom about us, mm-hmm. and um, they are responsible for some more enterprise grade software here. Yes, that's what gives me some hope. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like if you look here, they're talking about uh, Bird, which is the an internet routing daemon, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. open source that mm-hmm. supports BSDs, Linux. Yep. Uh, you yep. know, they do BGP, OSPF. So it makes me think that this organization at least knows a little bit and has experience about, about in routing. Yes, in exactly. That's a, that is a good point because that's what gave me hope and made me, okay, these have, they have some credentials here. But I, I'm trying to remember, I don't know if you remember the name of it because I'm, I'm just, I'm drawing a blank right now, but it is. A, it was recommended by someone in the It was, room. yeah. It is a unit that is essentially trying to accomplish this. And then uh, I agree with Wimpy's approach is whenever it's possible, make, uh, make your, your, your edge of land device as single purpose as possible. Yes, very much. Right. Because then it's if for security updates and, and reliability and troubleshooting and, and really honestly from mis- your own mistakes, it is much more isolated. And so uh, the way I work is the further out to the edge of the land I get, the less and less stuff I try to have that machine do. And, and a, big, a, big, um, a big trend I have noticed from the TechSnap audience is a lot of them want to virtualize their firewalls. Yeah, that is very more and more common these days. Yeah, it is like, you know, can I run my firewall, my PFSense firewall as a VM? You know, I'll give it a dedicated I'll give it a dedicated NIC or whatever right. they say. Or the Vertio driver. And it just so goes yeah, yeah. It just so goes against my like minimal like no, this is a router that's all <laughs> it's supposed to. It kind of sounds like what Wimpy's saying too. It's like I don't like having it be a file server running Samba, running SSH, running all this different stuff. I don't want that. And so I'm going to try scaling it back a bit, but I am definitely kind of relooking at some of the stuff now and going, oh, but I could save a lot of watts and a lot of space if I had one device doing it all. I also wouldn't mind just having a really beefy router. Like, that's fine. Even if it's just as little yeah, on the edge. Yeah, like, yeah. all right, great. It'll last me the next uh, seven that years. Too. So I'm not quite sure where I'm going to fall down on yet, but uh, this is pretty neat. And it's available for pre-order right now. I, I you, know, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and put myself down as a... Uh, as a pos- as a possibility on the pre-order right now. I'm just signing up for it. As I'm joining I you. Yeah, are you? Yeah, because I'm curious to see where they go with this, and I like that they're, uh, yeah, there we go. So uh, they, I just I just went in, and I just had, I added myself to the pre-order list. I'm going to give the Omni a try, 
but my philosophy is more in line with yours mm-hmm. and Wimpy's. Mm-hmm. I think it's a I think it's a little safer to say this router is dedicated to do this thing. But we'll see. Uh, Wimpy, any uh, any other thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, Open Media Vault's available for the Raspberry Pi too now. So you Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the Raspberry Pi too and Open Media Vault could be perfect. That could yeah, be perfect. Could be good Can help. I run MB on it? Because that's you know what I'm I'm using MB in the rover. I want to do a little MB follow up if I could actually because people have been asking me about this. Uh, I bet that hasn't been. Uh, I bet that hasn't been ported to I'm, the Raspberry Pi. But who knows? I mean, I'm really look. enjoying MB. I've been using Plex still at the house in the studio, but in the rover, I am using MB. Wow, look at me. i got so, three different places I'm trying stuff, and MB is really great. Are you, um, are you using the Android client at all? No, no. I'm only using, only using the web client at the moment. Why? What, have you run into issues with the Android version? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit stuttery and, you know. Oh. It, it, I've it, noticed it, some of the similar. You? The most recent version that I, up, I don't remember when I last updated it seemed to be doing a lot better. But I have noticed a little occasional slowness. Really? Once so it gets up and running, it seems to be fine. When you're streaming from your house on your Android device? For me, it's more yeah. than like the, the interface. The actual stream has been fine, but kind of just like the startup and, and those mm. transitions have been a little slow. God, you guys are not encouraging me to keep on with my MB exploration. But, I mean, I've been using it as well, and the rest of it has been – I've been. I mean, I can – you know, you can push yeah. full 1080p. I, I, uh, I mean, th- my use for MB is I want to build a, a small network in the rover – and I want some. I want a component of that network to be media on demand. I'm not married to MB though. I will say I've been experimenting with the um, open and external player feature yeah. of MB. Yeah, yeah. And I've got it configured. Right now, it seems to only want to detect VLC, but with a little uh, XDG, you know, like configuring your default apps. Yeah. I've got it one click opening in MPV. Are you telling me in the web browser? You just click it. It opens MPV. In MPV. And it that if you ever had a little like a little slowness when you're changing places. When you're using MPV, of course, all MPV of it's is gone. amazing. Yeah, and it seems to be streaming the original quality just, just beautifully. And does it mark it as read or as watched in MB? Yes, that part I haven't updated very recently. I think it's been a week or so, so they may have fixed it. There was like a, a recent little oh, bug in that, man. But, but the actual playback is flawless. And to they get, have a UI there; it just isn't quite fixed. To have, to have, I'm, we're going to talk about that after air. How, well, tell me right now, how do you make MB use MPV as your default player? What do you do? Well, it has it has a I don't know if it's a plugin or an option somewhere to enable external players. So you do lose like it doesn't track your progress, but you can enter okay, in where so you, you are. Okay, so you can't resume. Right. So you lose your resume, but if you're if you're just watching an hour long program, and I can that's remember, not a big deal. If I remember, I jump in a half hour. Right. And I MPV would makes totally that give easy. that up to use MPV. Right. <gasps> or you can use Cody and not give up anything. There you oh. go. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent point. I and listen. Cody with Open Elect will work on the Pi. So <laughs> yes, with video yeah, acceleration. I mean, listen, I'm trying to keep it simple. I've got an MB server, and I just want to go to the web page in the rover and watch stuff. That's all I want. I don't want to have to do too much more than that. But the MPV thing, that you is... Send it, you can send it to uh, Cody as well, because Cody has an API that I'm actually working on a, a script to send stuff to Cody, Ooh. and it will play through Cody, and it will it will connect really? to the server, really? and it won't it won't be sending signals. It'll actually just send the it say it'll say here's what I want to play, and then Cody will connect to it directly, and you will keep all your syncing and everything. That's awesome. Oh, I think I think you be, guys are selling me the on the rover rail. setup. I mean, the rover setup so early now that I, if I could have Cody look at MB and have all get it, oh. Anyways, if you guys are not familiar with uh, MB, uh, we did an episode of Linux Action Show about MB versus Plex. These are um, really, really amazing home theater management solutions. 
They'll go out. They'll scan your directory. They'll go get all the metadata. They'll build a nice directory. They'll give you watch status, pull in additional contacts. It's really cool. You can find it at mb.media, an open source solution to Plex. And we dedicated an episode of the Linux Action Show to this particular topic because uh, in the rover, I wanted something that could completely work offline. And not that Plex doesn't. Plex works great offline, but Plex also assumes you have an internet connection all the time. And so MB allowed me to have a little bit of flexibility there and say, you know, I'm going to be offline the majority of the time. And when I am connected, go fetch the metadata and those kinds of things. MB allows me to have some flexibility there in the rover specifically that are really nice. I will say, at least according to a forum post, it does look like there's an open media vault plugin available. The last, the last post on the thread here was from July 2015, so hopefully it's updated and relevant. Oh, my gosh. We'll have to try that. It's more see. about the architecture support, isn't it? Yeah. Right. But MB supported by Open Media Vault. Yeah. yeah. So if you took... And an, MB's open source. You took a NUC with Open Media Vault and MB. Yeah. This is starting to look you pretty nice. You have a nice little system. Yeah. Connected over, what, iSCSI or an NFS maybe to a storage array. Oh, I have a few episodes in mind when I think of that. That's really cool. So anyways, if you want to check out this router, it is the Taurus Omnia, and uh, I signed up for a pre-order. I'll be, I'm willing to give it a, I'm willing to give it a go. I'm willing to give it a go. I like that they have a built-in uh, LAN switch. That's nice. Yep. I might not use it. fiber right in there. That's interesting. Yes. Oh, yes. By the way, yeah, that was, that's that one, right? That little connector right there, which is just at the bottom of the screen, is a little uh, a Gbit connector, which is, G- okay. All right. I'm not saying I'm would, I would use this as my main switch. But it's definitely tempting, and uh, it might be tempting for you too, so go check it out, and we'll have a link in the show notes, and uh, if I do manage to get the pre-order, I'll let you know how it goes. So before we move on, I want to thank our friends over at Linux Academy. There's something really cool going on at Linux Academy, uh, and I want to tell you about it. But first, if you're new to Linux Academy, I want to sort of set up the framework. What I really like about Linux Academy is I see a lot of common ground between them and Jupyter Broadcasting. They care a hell of a lot about content. They care a hell of a lot about Linux and open source, and they really want to deliver that to the people. And so my approach was, let's go make podcasts about it. Their approach was, let's go make educational content about it. So they paired up with developers and content creators and educators to make sure this could happen. Linux enthusiasts that sat around and said, we want to bring this to more people. And that is really, truly unique about Linux Academy. Linux and open source is not a checkbox. They don't have a whole range of tutorials from fixing your sync and After Effects tutorials. What they have is stuff that is hyper-focused on Linux and all of the technology stack around there. I invite you to go check them out by going to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and get our really really great discount in fact i will have i am now i am now very pleased to say our very exclusive discount is the only way to get this pricing structure it is exclusive to linux unplugged show linuxacademy.com slash unplugged go check that out go tour their features they have almost 1900 videos for the self-paced courses downloadable comprehensive study guides and instructor help is available to you when you need it that is a really big deal and a huge differentiator between the other online learning courses and on october 15th oh my gosh that's really soon actually they have some major 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 features they are rolling out really big things are coming on october 15th they say and this is their words not mine They're working on their biggest new tool for the last four months, and they're going to be releasing it on October 15th. It's the result of a dream they had this time a year ago. It's going to change self-paced and hands-on training as we know it. Also, they just updated their CDN, so the content is even faster than before, and the players 
have a new version of their HTML5 player with speed controls so you can speed up or slow down the videos, which is really cool. And there has been actually some studies. uh, As a podcaster, I looked into this. When you listen to podcasts at double speed, you actually retain the data more. Wow. Didn't know that. But the brain, because it's working a little bit harder to listen at a faster pace, retains the information faster. How cool is that for your training? And now their new HTML5 player supports that. That's really great. But something else has just come out at Linux Academy that I think you need to know about. This is a huge deal. Practice exams. Practice exams are the secret weapon to actually beating the test. I, for whatever reason, get a little weird about taking tests. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just get a little weird about taking tests. It just like I'm putting. I'm being put on the spot. Next week on Linux Unplugged, we give we we give Chris a quiz or two. <laughs> It'll be, it'll be great fun. Submit That's your questions idea. online, guys. Actually, that would be really cool. That would be really good. We should do that as an episode. If anybody has suggestions out there for an online Linux quiz that we could take. Yeah, uh, that sounds great fun. We should do it. <laughs> we should do it. You can hear me. I'll get totally worked up. Like, I'm not kidding you guys. I freak out over our rock, paper, scissors session. Okay? So I'm not kidding. So the idea of taking a test, it really overwhelms me. And so that's Linux Academy recognizes that, and they have a solution. So... In the past, and, and, and still available today, in fact, better than ever, you have regular mode exams. So this is where Linux Academy loads in a preset of number of questions and a preset amount of time, and you go through the exam. You know, like, for example, you could take the AWS CSA Associates in regular mode, uh, and it'll load 60 questions in 80 minutes, and you complete the exam like a real exam. That's cool and gives you a very, very real-world-like experience. However, if that, to you, would stress you out like it would me, Check out practice mode. Now you can select your time limit and the number of questions, up to a maximum amount of potential questions from the pool, and then just take the practice exam. This helps you prepare in a different way than you would normally for the exam, and it puts flexibility in the practice exam system based on your current needs. So here's a summary of what you get. You get to display the total number of questions in the exam questions. All practice exams are now timed. If time runs out, it automatically submits the questions you're currently going for and grades them. Practice mode allows you to define the number of questions and time limits for an exam sessions. And the question order is randomized. And answers associated with the question are also randomized. And each new practice exam is started. This is such a cool way for you to be able to go in and find out the questions that are on the test, try them, learn them, do your studying, see how you did. So that way, when you sit down to actually get your certification, it is a slam dunk. This right here, I'm telling you, is worth the price alone of admission to Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get our discount and try that out. A lot of new features. Check out their big presentation October 15th. So much is coming. I love to see this company continue to grow because you know why? They're promoting Linux at the same time. LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. All right. So, guys, as we wrap up today on the Unplugged show, it was it, – it, actually, I think it was Wes's fault. I think this was totally your it's fault, It's all Wes. my fault, guys. <laughs> ah, again. Way to go, Wes. Damn. Jerk. Uh, so, uh, I think you made an offhanded comment about – why don't we just end curses everything? Everything should be an end curses UI. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, King Looper was paying attention when you said that. He said an episode going in depth on end curses tool available on Linux would be a great idea. There are so many end curses programs out there. I think an episode on it really could be interesting. Not only is end curses programs for everything, in true Linux fashion, there are at least four of them. Yeah. With programs from CMUS to HTOP, 
There is a lot of content to cover. This episode could show off a lot of new useful tools to viewers, too. For example, CMUS makes great media player, especially when paired with drop-down terminal. Now, this happens to coincide perfectly with the end of Tech Talk today. It was suggested that we have a Mumble App Picks segment in the Linux Unplugged show. So I wanted to turn it over to the Mumble Room. Now, Wes and I have a couple, the go-tos. But I wanted to turn it over to the Mumble Room if anyone in there has any suggestions for really, really great NCurses-based applications. Now, for those of you not familiar, I don't know how this is possible, but think of NCurses as the best interface ever created that never needs to be replaced and never should be superseded. NCurses applications are console applications that essentially have a UI. Uh, you know, I had to look at this, Wes. Ncurses actually even has an entry on Wikipedia. Here's a great example of, uh, of configuring the Linux kernel. Uh, I believe the BSD installer is Ncurses-based. Uh, I believe a lot of things are Ncurses-based. Alan, is, am I right? Is, is Ncurses still a thing on BSD as well? Yeah, so, well, uh, the tool is called Dialog, and then it uses Ncurses to draw the stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Now, do you, Alan, uh, while I have you, do you have any Ncurses apps that you've used from time to time? Or well, the biggest one is Dialog, which is a way to write, to use NCurses interfaces from a shell script. Yeah, So yes. the entire installer is written in shell script, but it just asks you the questions and presents you the menus by calling the Dialog command, which draws an NCurses menu for you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So there's a good one. And, uh, and it is universally, like, you know, when it is universally, like, if you have a terminal, you've probably, at some point in time seen an NCurses application and Steve Jerbs in the chat room <laughs> Steve Jerbs uh, has a uh, has a recommendation called a TIG and uh, he says in the chat room it's one of my favorite dev tools it's a text mode interface for Git how cool is that Wes how about that ooh I'm excited already yeah that is really neat so uh, if anybody in the mumble room wants to chime in with their favorite NCurses application the floor is open to you I'm I'm saving mine to see if anybody else guesses them. Rtorrent is also quite nice, especially Which is, when you're trying to do stuff server-side. Rtorrent? Yeah, Rtorrent. that's a great one. If yeah. you're trying to seed from a server, it's just be able to pop it up over SSH. And... Yeah, Rtorrent is killer. Rtorrent and uh, I think like version 9, 0.9 is the current version or something like that. I'll put a link to Rtorrent. Rtorrent is great. In fact, Rtorrent, just a little tip, is a great resource to put on your DigitalOcean droplet. You pop that in the uh, BSD licensed Tmux, and away you go. <laughs> Look at you with the Tmux. Rtorrent, I'm going to put a link there because honestly, Rtorrent is one of the more common things that I hear people are using on their DigitalOcean droplets. WeChat? WeChat is has an Ancursus based interface? Is that real? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Elmon. Elmon coming in from the chat room. How about I think, that? Yersi uh, also does. Yersi. No, uh, it's the I-R-S-S-I. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, look at this. Look at Elmon. Oh, I'm installing Elmon. <gasps> this might graphs. This might become a last pick. Look at these graphs. Oh, that's me. Hi, hi. Uh, here it is. Here's the shot. Look at that. Wow. That is really, really nice. And, Wimpy, you got to mention my favorite. Come on, Wimpy. Give me a plug for Nano. Let's hear it. Yeah, I love Nano. Yeah, and so do a, I. a great example of an Ancurse is based a full application. Yeah. yeah, I like that one a lot. All right, any other guy? Any other? Yeah, there's um, uh, the new Architect installer for for Arch. Uh, you know, it's Architect Linux is an uh, Ancurse's installer for Arch. Architect Linux. Architect yeah. Linux. All right, I'm putting a link to that. Based, if you've ever heard of Evolution Linux, it's it's a pre- yes. it's a successor to Evolution. Okay. Evolution is gone, but it was been it was cre- it was turned into Architect. 
the live installer for Linux, brought to you by Carl Duff. And yeah, there it is, that gorgeous ode to ode to end curses. You know what? I don't know what it is, but I love it. I love the little outline. I love the lines. I love the OK button. I love the title at the top with the line underneath it. It's so uh, clear. Yep. It's so it's so obvious. It's like a nice uh, latex formatted scientific paper. Yes. It's got that same kind of look. You know yes. where everything's going to be. Yes. It's just right where you expect. Yes, and my keyboard hotkeys work. Yeah. I mean, it is... I don't mean to sound like an old man, but I think it is truly one of the best interfaces it's ever. Rain before my eyes here, guys. I, I think you, if you if you're interested in using incurses and you also want good UI like design look, um, OpenSUSE's Yast is now incurses. Yes, Whoa. no, not now, not now. No, no, no. no I'm no. saying it's, it's, it's been for a very long time, which is awesome. Right, but I'm saying now, as in everything, their, their installer is Yast, so it's all in curses. Everything they do is now uh, Yast. Every everything that they have so much now into Yast, and now Yast is completely in curses. But mm-hmm. it also is a good looking in curses, as in design and everything. So yeah. it doesn't even necessarily look like in curses, but it's reliable, just like it, if it was. Yeah, yeah, and I I love that about OpenSUSE because uh, when you're installing a machine, a server remotely. That particular feature is extremely, extremely valuable. It's very, very nice to have that uh, because also one of the things that the OpenSUSE installer has supported for a very long time is you can spin up a VNC server over the network and install the system headless using VNC, uh, which is extremely wow. cool. Uh, and, of course, i got to give a plug. Corky Betas pointed out in the chat room, uh, you got to love Midnight Commander. One of the old-school Ncurses-based file managers for the classic. command line. A classic. Midnight Commander is very awesome. Uh, a network manager, there's a, hold on, hold on. Network manager has a, uh, has a uh, NCURSES interface? No way. Is that a thing? I'd be really interested. I used to use uh, Wikti or Wicked or whatever yes. it was, but I guess that's not maintained anymore. No. So I, I would love another CURSES-based Wi-Fi manager. Yeah, look at this. On December 2013, apparently this is old school news. Uh, network manager gets a new text interface. While network manager already has a great integration with GNOME and KDE desktops, there's now a command line interface. This open source network management program has the NCURSES based interface. Look at that. Sweet. That is very cool. And then Colonel Panic, is that how you say that one, Wes? What do you think? Colonel? Colonel Panic. But, but it's not spelled with a K. It's Colonel. See what, that, see what I'm saying there? C O N E L? Yes, but that's but the that, military that's how you pronunciation. Yes. Colonel. Okay, all right. All right, fine. He goes with it. He's got, I think, a Python debugger here, which is an NCURSES interface. Oh, interesting. Look at that. I'm really surprised that nobody has said our two Encurses uh, picks yet. You and I have two really good ones, and I'm surprised. <laughs> this is Colonel Panic. Oh, my God, Chris. <laughs> but Colonel's Panic is spelled with a K. That no has already taken that one. Uh, all right. Are you, uh, anybody else in the mumble room want to throw out their favorite Encurses app before uh, Noah and – or Noah – before Wes and I uh, give away the, uh, the best? I think we have some really good ones. I think so. All right. Nobody's chiming in. Wes, you mentioned this one last week. NCDU, love NCDU, a super fast utility. You go into a directory, you can say like NCDU, and you can give it a directory, you can give it the root, and it goes through and scans your disk usage in real time. It is so, so nice. In fact, I should probably just install it right now. It's so nice. I'm going to install it right now. Now, I, I like as well that you can uh, have it export. So like we at work, we've got some scripts that'll, that'll run that. 
as well. So when it has a disk, you know, a host has disk space that's above above what we've set as warning, it'll have saved already on the back end somewhere. Really? So you can just pop that up. You don't even have to rescan it. You can just explore visually. I went to go show it. I went to go show NCDU on the live stream, and it, it worked so fast that I couldn't actually uh, show you it processing my directories. It's way faster than any graphical tool is. Yeah. Way faster. And here you can say, you can see I'm, re- I'm wasting a ridiculous... 51.7 gigabytes on this Bonobo to the Dropbox. <laughs> that is, and you know what's crazy about that? That is a fraction of what is actually in the Dropbox. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Does it? What is, does Dropbox tell you how much space you're using now? Yeah, I'm using, uh, oh my God. Oh my God. Do you have a guess how much space I'm using in Dropbox? I don't know if take, I want just, to guess. Just take just a rough guess. Just one guess. I'll just take mm-hmm. one guess. Let's say... Because here you go. Here you go, Wes. 51 gigs are just on this Bonobo alone. Just on the Bonobo. On this Bonobo alone. I'm guessing... So you can assume this is probably just the files I need. Just, just them. Just yes. for the show production. I'm going to guess 700 gigabytes. Ooh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Two terabytes. Ooh. Yeah, buddy. Two terabytes up in that Dropbox. So You're NC... most enterprise yeah. up in here. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. So NCDU is a really, really, really nice tool that Wes mentioned last week. That is a very nice, straightforward way to go through. And so you can see, like, so say I wasn't going to go uh, delete uh, stuff out of my Dropbox folder, but I wanted to go look at some of my other big offenders here. Downloads, I go into there. You can see, look, look at all, look at five gigs going to Gunsmoke Old Time Radio, right? It's worth it. Don't, and then, don't get rid of it. I know, I'm not. 1.3 gigabytes is going to X-1, another Old Time Radio show. And then another 337 is going to Superman. But I can easily see where a lot of my storage space is going to in my downloads folder, which is really, really nice. And the other really nice thing about this is it works great through an SSH connection. So when you're remoted into that system. You know, uh, Hegemon 8 in the IRC, he's got a great point. Also Mixer, something we take for granted, that's, that's curses. What is it? Also, also mixer, mixer right? yeah, yeah, and there's also there's a pulse audio controller yeah. that's also Encurses based, which is really cool. And then there's another app that I I love two things. Now Telegram isn't Encurses based, but there is a Telegram command line client, which is really cool for drop down menus. Oh, I haven't tried that. Yeah, yeah. Tox, T O X. Now you're familiar with Tox. It's kind of like a Skype killer, open source. Yeah. In the shadow of Edward Snowden, <laughs> kind of came out right, and it it grows, it blossoms in the shadow of Edward Snowden. And uh, there is Toxic. Toxic is a Tox-based instant messaging client, and you guessed it, has an NCurses interface. So you can use Tox in the command line, like say SSH into a droplet or something like that, using NCurses. This is my pick. This is, I think, a really... I'm like super remiss for not mentioning PipeCut. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So PipeCut is this tool to allow you to... like when When you're dealing with data on Unix, right? You do like some file, cat file pipe grep for something and then sort and then unique minus C and then sort numerically by the result of that to get and then pipe tail or something like that, right? To get the la- the top 10 most popular IP addresses in your web server log or something. Ooh. This allows you to build those interactively yeah. and surf back and forth through your pipe and like when you're applying a grep filter, it will highlight on the screen, what things you're going to match and what things aren't as you're writing the regular expression. So it really stands out. That yeah. is so nice. Yeah, I'm looking at their site, website right now, pipecut at pipecut.org. This is yeah. really uh, slick, there's a Alan. presentation. We, uh, we interviewed the author and did a presentation about it at MeetPSD. It is really cool. Yeah, it is. Holy crap. I'm, I'm saving this one to go grab after the show. It seems like a great tool to help. I mean, one professionals, but two people trying people to learn. Yeah, exactly. How to use pipes? Yes, it's like the best teaching tool ever. 
Yeah. Well, it really illustrates what you're doing, which is really cool. Uh, all right. So how about this one? This one coming in from Corky. RTV. RTV. No, it's not something for your trailer. <laughs> it's an NCURSE's Reddit client. Oh. A Reddit terminal viewer right there. RTV is an application that allows you to view and interact with Reddit from your terminal. Oh, I love it. That is so cool. That makes Reddit so much better. Uh, that makes it so <laughs> – you know, getting something like Reddit out of the web is – I don't know. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, RTV is built on Python using, as you guessed it, the Curses library. Really, really neat. That's a good one. Uh, IPTRAF is another great one. I agree. Uh, LFTP if is top. another good one. IFTOP, yes. HTOP, was, which was mentioned earlier in the show. I'm going to put a link to as many of these as that we're mentioning as possible in the show notes, uh, so that way you, get, you guys can check this out. Um, I, here's what I love about callback. it. What's that? A callback, a callback to earlier in the show, up in WRT, has incurses. Mm, nice. Ooh. That is really here's – what I, here's, what, here's the point I want to make. I don't think NCURSE's interfaces are out of date or old school at all. I think they're still a very practical application for a text-based GUI. Yep. And uh, with VPSs and, and cloud computing becoming more and more common, I think they have a better place than ever. Like, I think these are really, really good stuff. So uh, com. please, please tell me about your favorite NCURSE-based application for episode 114, Find the Feedback Thread. I would really like to hear about them. I want to try them out. I'm all in. Like, I'm like, screw GUIs, right? I know. And just the Speaking of-, of GUIs, though, if you write your shell script thing in dialogue, you can substitute dialogue for xDialogue, Ooh, and you get nice. Windows version. You get the GUI it. version, too. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. What were you going to say, Wes? I was just going to say, it's nice that, you know, it's just like a terminal away, right? Yes. You already have your terminal yes. open if yeah. you're someone listening to this show. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And it's, it's a terminal you don't, you know, you don't have to learn a new GUI. You're already familiar with how the right. applications work. Uh, and uh, Corky Beta says, if you give it a good color scheme, Encurses can be the most modern UI ever. Very so, flat. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's very flat, yes. <laughs> I was just going to make that joke. All right, Roddenkorp, do you want to take us out with our last Encurses uh, pick here? Yeah, CMUS, uh Music Player. Yes. Yes, CMUS Music Player at uh, I, I I'm familiar. They have there's an Arch Wiki entry on it, but I think they're just on CMUS CMUS GitHub.io, and uh, it's a small, fast, powerful concert music player for Unix-like operating systems. So even you Mac users can get a little something out of that one. <laughs> CMUS, that's a good one, Rotten. Man, I'm really for some reason all of a sudden I'm sitting here. I'm getting super uh, verklempt over NCurses based applications. Like uh, anything I could run out of a terminal, I'm all about these days. So those are really good ones. Thank you guys. And uh, if you want to submit any others, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Also a good place to go to submit content for this show or the Linux Action Show to spotlight open source projects to give something a little of attention. You know, it turns out it's also just a popular Linux subreddit, uh, regardless of our shows. It's also just a popular way for people to talk about cool open source projects, and that helps the show as well. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. And also, you can contribute directly by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and sending in some, uh, some feedback right there. We have a uh, drop down. You just choose Linux Unplugged and send it in. And, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention patreon.com slash today. If you'd like to invest in this show, allow us to be flexible with the sponsors that we choose and make sure that we can continue to, produ- to pay our production staff and all those goodies patreon.com slash today is a great way for you to get involved with the financial end 
of this show. I love to get more submissions. Let yeah, please to do. This is some These good are ones. great. Yeah, I'm I, excited to see the final list. I know. Maybe we'll do a follow up next week because, yeah. like, for some reason, like these really are hitting like a sweet spot with me. <laughs> I think these are really sweet. Wes, sir, thank you for being here. Thanks for bringing Pleasure. the beer again. Anytime. Thank you to the Mumble Room, JBLive.tv. If you'd like to join us live, JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/calendar to get those live time zones. Our virtual lug is open. We just got to check your mic, and then you get to join us. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next week. That show moved, huh? Do you feel like that show moved? Yeah. Woo! Yeah, all right, all right. Very good, very good. All right, so we go to JB Titles, we pick our title, and then we all feel like we accomplished something. Doesn't that feel good? Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, good stuff. And Curse's apps are fun for me for some reason. I'm an old man <laughs> They're today. just fun. I like this title suggestion. Katie, connect all the things. <laughs> I look at Microsoft and all of their company resources, all of their employees, all of their money, and then they ship a product that that looks like this, right, and makes noises like that. I don't want to make it noises yeah, like I that. I don't either. I don't even know why it made that noise. <laughs> it didn't tell me anything. About why did it make that noise? Why does it do these things? Why is there so much contrast in the in the Explorer windows? Why are the fonts so small? Look at this with this menu. It's like transparent, so you can't you can't even read, read it. it. You can't even read it. And the thing is, nobody talks about this. Nobody talks about it. It's fine. Now, you know, KDE's got a funky font, or Gnome's got a, a corner that's not perfectly rounded, or the Mac does something that's not perfect, and it's in all it's all we talk Big about. Big freaking deal. It's a huge deal. Well, Windows is a complete and total presentation crap show with three different types of interfaces built into it, three different UIs built into it, and nobody gives it a hard time. Everybody gives it a pass. Even we do. This is disgusting. Look at that. You can't even read that. It's great. Gross. And, and yet, no, nobody says anything. I can explain that completely. Let's hear it. Standards. People I have agree. standards that are not using Windows, and everybody knows Windows is complete garbage, I agree. I so think, go, uh, I think we garbage. collectively have just been like, oh, well, Windows is the challenge kid in the classroom, and so we don't expect as much from Windows. Oh, look, Windows has a, has a start menu that slides up real nice. Oh, look what a don't good worry, job Windows. Windows has done. You get a ribbon, too. <laughs> Windows has done such a great job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Windows gets its trophy. They had a release. They couldn't even get their numbering right. They couldn't even count correctly. <laughs> I just, they can't count. They can't. I can't stand it as an operating system. It is so awful. It is so awful. And then, so the thing, the line I have to walk is in, how do you not judge people who want to use Windows? People who choose to use Windows. How do you yeah. not? Because they have their own valid reasons, and they probably spend a lot of time making Windows suck a lot less. They probably don't even realize how much energy they put into making Windows suck less over, like, they set up a Windows box, and they probably spend three months getting it not sucking. People they, do a lot of work yeah. put into those. Yeah. It's the worst, dude. Windows is the worst. <laughs>